1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read starting in verse 18. Which says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Let's pray. God, it is very hard at times to discern the wisdom of the world from the wisdom of you, our God, and so we ask for your help. I pray that you might dig into the depths of our hearts and expose the places where we are compromised, the places where we, where we try to mix in the foolish thinking of people rather than adhere entirely to the wisdom of you, the all-knowing God. God, help us today as we look to your word. May this word give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. So your worldview is how you answer the biggest questions in your life. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What should I be doing? What's most important? See, all, all those, those questions shape the most significant aspects of your life. So every other decision that you would make flows from your worldview. These are small decisions in comparison. Things like, well, should I get married? Or who should I marry? Or will I have children? Or how will I educate my children? Or how will I spend my money? How will I vote? All those are, are smaller questions that, that flow out of the broader worldview that you hold. And you have a worldview. Whether you are conscious of it or, or you can articulate it, you have a worldview. So, so kids, I want you to think about this. This is for the kids today. Pay attention to this world word, uh, my, my articulation is not working always well. Pay attention to the word, worldview. Worldview. Kids, your parents are teaching you a worldview, and your church is teaching you a, a Christian worldview. We're talking about the biggest questions of your life. Okay, now, now for everybody, realize that the Apostle Paul here is bringing a correction to the Corinthian church that he founds on the Christian worldview. So you remember back in verse 10, he started addressing division in the church, but, but then he quickly sort of diverges from there and starts talking about subjects that don't have anything to do with division. And I think the reason for this is Paul is mostly concerned with answering the biggest questions in life. If we can figure out what it is that we believe and why we believe it, then we'll start to put it into practice in things like resolving conflict. And, and so on. So it's from the big questions, the worldview questions, that we can then get answers to the small questions. And the Christian worldview, this is what Paul's establishing, is built entirely on the message of the gospel, the word of the cross. So we're moving through this passage, you'll notice 1 Corinthians 1, very slowly. And the reason for this is that, that getting a foundation of the Christian worldview will shape the rest of how we read the book of 1 Corinthians. We must build everything on the gospel. If we can have clarity on what Jesus has done and how that impacts our lives, then we can start to work through the rest of 
the Christian life. And one of the difficulties, though, that we're going to find along the way is if you are going to embrace the Christian worldview, you're going to look like a fool. You're going to look like a fool in the eyes of the world. Paul says in verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So if you're going to venture into this whole Christianity thing, if you're going to actually embrace the Christian worldview, you need to set yourself up, prepare yourself to be considered a fool. Paul's strategy for establishing the Christian worldview, though, is to contrast the wisdom of the world with the foolishness of the cross. And then he he turns those around and shows the foolishness of the world and the wisdom of the cross. So we're talking a lot about wisdom. We we looked last week at sort of the power of God that we read about in verse 18. This time we'll talk about the wisdom of God. What is wisdom exactly? So wisdom is a very broad word. It comes from a Greek word that's translated here. The Greek word is sophia. So if you connect this to words like philosophy, right? That's where we get the idea of wisdom. It's the love of wisdom. Philo being love. Sophie or sophia being wisdom. It's the love of wisdom, philosophy. And in this passage, actually in verse 17, when what we have in, in the English Standard Version as words of eloquent wisdom is actually just the words of wisdom. Um, in verse 19, he calls it the wisdom of the wise. And I'm mostly going to use the phrase that Paul uses in verse 20, the wisdom of the world. What exactly is that wisdom? Well, if wisdom is a broad category, we can maybe think of wisdom like little bits of advice. That's one form of wisdom. Or wisdom is this depth of knowledge about a certain subject. That's also wisdom. But wisdom also takes the form of worldview, right? It it takes the form of the philosophy of our lives. It takes the form of how we answer the biggest questions. That's what Paul's primarily dealing with. He's dealing with that sort of wisdom, the wisdom of worldview. I say that because we have to be very careful, and and I realize a lot of what I will say this morning may make you think that Christianity is anti-intellectual or that Paul is anti-intellectual. And I want to assure you that is not the case at all. There is worldly wisdom and worldly knowledge that is very useful and very beneficial. The issue that Paul is dealing with is about worldview, and that that addresses more the aim of our knowledge, what it is that we're expecting our knowledge to gain us, the purpose, the goal of our wisdom. So to give you an example, science, that's a broad category, right? But, But much of the study of the natural world is good and useful and beneficial, Right? Some of you in our church, and we live in the Tri-Cities, so we know this, like, have acquired great knowledge in the field of nuclear science. That's great, provided that your aim is things like cleaning up nuclear waste or, you know, making nuclear power. Those are good things. The, the problem with that sort of knowledge and wisdom isn't that, that it's generally not good or useful. It's generally good and useful. The real problem comes when we make the aim of that wisdom answer the most important questions of our lives. If we make the aim of science to to tell us who we are and why we're here and what our purpose is, then we're elevating wisdom that's useful in one category into a worldview issue, and that's where it conflicts with the ways of God. Does that make sense? So so Christianity is not anti-intellectual. God's not, I'm not against wisdom. I'm not against knowledge and science. I'm not against those things. I'm just saying if you make them the aim of answering the biggest questions of your life, that's really where it becomes contradictory to the wisdom of God. This is what the line that Paul wants to draw. There's a distinction, a clear difference between the wisdom of the world, the worldview of the world, and the wisdom of God. And and the point is that they cannot mix. That they're headed in completely different directions. The wisdom of this world that would tell you who you are and how you ought to live and what your purpose is has no place in Christianity. 
Only God gets to tell you who you are and how you are to live. So this sort of wisdom of the world is mutually exclusive from the wisdom of God. And I think the problem in Corinth, and I think our temptation today, is to incorporate the philosophies of this world, the worldview of the world, into our Christian faith. That is, maybe we want to make the message of the cross more agreeable to other people, or, or we find personal conflicts with the things of God, and so we resolve them by adopting the views of man. Or we make a few compromises because, you know, you want to get along with the people you work with or your family or, or the prevailing culture. I, I understand all the reasons we may give for compromising our Christianity, but you realize that the heart of it is this. We're scared of looking like fools. We're scared that if we would actually follow what God says, if we were really going to build our lives on the message of the, of, of the cross, we're going to look foolish. Right? That, that's, that's verse 18. The word of the cross is folly. To those who are perishing. And, and if you think about it logically, it does make some sense. In, in Paul's day, Corinth is a Greek city with a Roman culture. To speak of crucifixion amongst the Romans or the Greeks was unspeakably shameful. Like you, people, Christians are saying, listen, God came to earth and died on a cross and people said, that is ridiculous. It makes no sense. And I think it's still true, Christians, that if we really look to the cross and we look at the, the graphic nature of the cross, people will think that's, that's foolish that that would be God. Perhaps you experienced something like this when you saw the Passion of the Christ. Um, I know I went to the Passion of the Christ with somebody who was not a Christian. This was back when I was in, I was in high school. And, and what struck me about the response to that film was not, look at what God has done, but look at how awful that is. I mean, that's really what got people with the Passion of the Christ, right? Is that, that it was just gruesome and graphic, because that, that is the nature of the cross. I really think that if, if, if we look at the cross without knowing this is the Son of God, without understanding the gospel, you, we should ask, why would God do that? It's foolish, the word of the cross. But when we really consider the cross as the wisdom of God, we start to see the wisdom and power in it. Now, now I, I say that because I, I'm going to encourage you this week to walk the path of the cross. Right? I, I hope that you'll come worship on Good Friday. Like, we're celebrating today the arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem, celebrating next Sunday the resurrection of Christ, and Good Friday is very bleak. The, the cross is tragic, and to many it's foolish. Furthermore, the, the, the message of the cross doesn't just offend our sort of gut reaction. It actually offends our intellect. The message of the cross grates against every other world religion. Now, Corinth was a melting pot of world religions, so Greek Roman culture, but it's also a primary seaport. We'll do some look at a future sermon on kind of the map where Corinth sits. But just think, people from all over the world are passing through Corinth. There's a lot of wealth to begin there, so they settle there. And when they settle there, they bring their religions with them. So, so the message of the cross that these Corinthian Christians are proclaiming, it sounds foolish to every other religion. Christian messages like, there is one God. Or that God the Son would take on human flesh or that Jesus is the only way to know God, all of those claims of Christianity look foolish to other religions. They're confrontational, to say the least. And that is the same today. Christians, if we're really, really going to proclaim the message of the cross in all of its fullness, it will not agree with Muslims or Hindus or Mormons, certainly not with secular religions. Why is that? Why is it that this message of Christ crucified, the Son of God coming to earth, is so offensive, so foolish. It isn't because it doesn't mesh with people's perspective. And it isn't 
primarily because there's intellectual hurdles for people to overcome. The reason that those who are perishing call the cross foolish is that they hate God. They hate God. That's a, that's a harsh claim. That's true. If you're not a believer, you hate God. Here's what John says. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment, Jesus says. Light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Speaks of those who are perishing. It says, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. See, see the, the reason that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, it's not our minds, it, it's not our traditions, it's not our backgrounds, it's our souls. It's that without God changing us and saving us, we hate him. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Christians, this is why our worldview starts here. It starts at the cross and it rises from the cross because that's where we actually know the power of God to save us. Like God saved people like me and you who used to hate him. God saves people who see the cross as foolish. And when God opens our eyes and gives us salvation and we suddenly see what God is up to, it brings us to a place of humility because we recognize I used to hate this God who is so good, who has loved me and saved me by the word of the cross. When that shift starts to happen, the Christian worldview finds its shape around the cross because that's what opens your eyes. When God opens our eyes to see the cross as the power of God, the wisdom of the world starts to look foolish. We start to see that the wisdom of this world, the philosophies of man, make promises that they can't keep. Now, in, in Corinth... People were able to advance their lives and with great speech, with great knowledge, with great wisdom, with great appeal. There was lots of money to be made, lots of status to be achieved, lots of power to be enjoyed. And if you think about it, all religions and all philosophies, all wisdoms of the world, all worldviews promise you something. But it's all temporary. As Jesus would say, you could gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. This is why Paul's drawing this line for us as Christians. Christians, you have to realize that all the wisdom of the world and that it promises, it will kill you. You don't need it. If the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, why would we as Christians try to, to, try to mesh into our Christianity, try to blend into our Christianity the wisdom of the world? You don't need it. It will kill you. Rather, as Christians, we hold fast to one truth, one gospel, one wisdom, and that is the word of the cross. Because at the cross, we have God's answers to the biggest questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What should I be doing? What matters most? At the cross, we find the wisdom of God. And God always delivers on his promises. And God always keeps his promises forever. Notice down in verse 21 how Paul explains this. We'll come back to verses 19 and 20. Verse 21, though, first. For since... Paul says, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believed, who believe. Now, it's, it's tucked in here, but in this sentence is the aim of all of life, the purpose of life, which is to know God. He says this in the negative, the world did not know God through wisdom, but that, that exposes 
what it is that we're all really after. What every philosophy, what every worldview is really after is knowing God. Whether you acknowledge it or not, deep in our hearts, we are all longing for our creator. Your worldview is ultimately trying to answer the question, how do I know God? And, and God in his wisdom has determined that you cannot know God through the wisdom of the world. You, you cannot know God through mere religion. You cannot know God through science. You cannot know God through philosophy. You cannot know God through secular progress. You cannot know God through pleasure or knowledge or strength. That isn't to say those aren't good things that have temporary benefits. Many of them do. But in reality, they can't save your soul from hell. That's what matters most. They can't make peace between you and God. Why is that? Why is it that we can't study the world around us and get to God? Why is it that we can't be great thinkers and find our way to God? Why is it that we can't better humanity and find God? Paul says, because there is a divine barrier Verse 21, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. As God's design, it is God's intention. He has blinded us. Now, you say, that doesn't sound fair. Like, why would God do that? It sounds like a judgment, and, and you're onto something. It is a judgment. It is judgment that God has blinded us. Go back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, where, where God made everything, and Adam and Eve turned from God in sin. Do you remember how Satan tempted Eve? I'll read it for you. This is Genesis 3, verse 4. The serpent said to the women, woman, you, shall, you, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See what he's doing? He's tempting her with a worldview. He's tempting her with wisdom of the world. He's, he's saying, you want to know how to know God and be like God and be great and gain something? Do what God has forbidden. I mean, it's a foolish, like the logic of it, you stand back and say, hey, you want to be like God? Rebel against God. That, 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 that sounds illogical, but it's what tempts Eve. It's what tempts us all, really. The judgment of God then is to cast Eve and Adam out of the garden and bar the way to the tree of life. Now, now we should look back at that and realize we all do the same thing. We all repeat the same thing. The very things that we think will gain us something in this world are actually what separates us from God. So God in his wisdom has placed us under a judgment that none of those things that we think will gain us something in the world will actually bring us to God. Knowledge, wisdom, cleverness, intelligence, great accomplishments, riches, power, strength. Boy, those make a lot of promises, don't they? They cannot bring you to know God. God in his wisdom has barred us from all the great things we can accomplish with our hands from actually getting up. We're like the people of Babel trying to build a tower to the sky that God has to look down to see. We can't know God on our own. It's foolishness. We need God to intervene, and God has intervened. Verse 21 continues. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, get this, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So God in his judgment has put a divine barrier up that we can't know God by our own strength. And now in his pleasure, in his joy, God saves people through the good news of the gospel. 
through the word of the cross, through the message of Christ crucified, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Which, which means that though the message of the cross will sound foolish and be treated as foolish, it's actually the wisdom of God. Because in the cross, we learn of the love and the truth, the justice and the salvation of God. At the cross, we see the power of God to overcome sin and death by the death of his son. At the cross, we meet the riches of God's mercy and grace given to all who believe. In the cross, we find life that lasts forever and promises that perfectly deliver. That's, that's why I'd say to somebody who's not a Christian, I, I would challenge you to walk the path of the cross. I, I like to talk to people about my age, a little bit younger, people in their 20s and 30s, and I, especially if they have a church background, I'll often say, hey, when's the last time you read the Bible for yourself? Maybe you grew up hearing the scriptures if you didn't read the Bible for yourself. Follow the path of the cross. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I would even say this week as Christians, as we, we even challenge ourselves to walk the path of the cross, right? From Palm Sunday, Hosanna in the highest, right? All the way to Resurrection Sunday, we're walking the path of the cross. This is why I hope you'll come on Good Friday, really consider and contemplate the reality of the cross. I would hope if you're not a believer, you'd turn from your sin you would see the wisdom and power of God and not foolishness, but find forgiveness in Christ. Because through the message of the cross, through, through the cross is how we know God. That might sound really foolish. It's not. It's the pleasure of God. Hear it from the mouth of Jesus himself, who said in Matthew 11, verse 27, excuse me, Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Like, you don't get to know God unless Jesus shows you the way, and how does Jesus show you the way? On the cross. And so Christians, if you know God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then your entire life should then be wrapped up in the message of the gospel. See, if if it is the pleasure of God to save you by the foolishness of the gospel, then it must be the wisdom of God to live your entire life by that message. Because it turns out the gospel gives us the answers to the biggest questions. Who am I? I am in Christ, united to God through the Son. Who am I? I'm forgiven, I'm made new, I'm adopted into God's family. Who am I? Dead to sin through his death, alive to God through his resurrection, eagerly awaiting his turn, his return. Who, who am I? I'm a citizen of Christ's kingdom. I'm his servant, I'm his friend. Why am I here? Because it pleased God to save me. So I, yeah, I think you have to make, let that sink in a little bit. Why am I here? Why are you here? Because it pleased God to save you. Why am I here? To know God, to enjoy God, to obey God, to receive the blessings of God. Why am I here? to tell others the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, right? to make disciples, to preach the foolishness of the cross all over the world so that people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation would be saved. 
Well, then what should I be doing? Worshiping God. Living all of life in light of the cross. Loving the people of God. Growing in wisdom and knowledge that's useful for advancing the gospel. Shining light into the darkness. Caring for the needy. Doing good. Using the wisdom of this world as a tool. Never as a savior. What matters most? The Lord Jesus Christ. His gospel. His foolish cross. That's the wisdom of God. You want a Christian worldview, you find all the answers and more in the gospel. When you live by the gospel, Christian, you are living by the wisdom and power of God. When you give yourself all of those sorts of answers, every other little question starts to be, gain clarity. And you'll start to see what is really foolish and what is really wise. This is part of what Paul's exposing in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, this is why the wisdom of the world can't mix with the Christian worldview. Because God is destroying the wisdom of the world. Why would you incorporate something into your life that God is destroying? The cross exposes, exposes the foolish insufficiency of every human scheme. So what, what, what the world around you says, hey, this is of a value. You should build your life around this. God's destroying that. He's calling it foolish. This is why Paul pulls from the Old Testament from Isaiah 29, uh, quoting from God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now, I think Paul's using that passage as a representation of a principle not a fulfillment of a prophecy. Paul could have used any number of passages from the Old Testament. I even give you a bunch in your notes like Jeremiah 8, 9, Psalm 14, Job chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. All of those that show this is the business of God, he's going to show the ways of this world to be foolish. So the coming of Jesus and his death on the cross is a turning point in history. It's the turning point in history. God has shown at the cross how to be saved, and he's also destroying the wisdom of the world. God has revealed in Christ the final chapter. He's, he's, he's revealed the mystery. He's shown the plan, and it's all known in Christ. And therefore, all worldly wisdom falls flat and foolish before the cross. Now you say, no, it doesn't. I'm looking around, and it seems like we're losing. It seems like the wisdom of the world is gaining traction and popularity and success. Are we so foolish to think that the word of the cross is actually destroying the wisdom of the world? Well, God has promised that it is. I think, Christians, we should take heart, knowing that God will triumph through the folly of the cross. I, I know there's lots of worry today. Like, I've got plenty of worry of my own, wringing my hands here and there. Right? We look at we look at the world, we look at the popular philosophies, the immoral actions, the injustices, the violence, the corruption, the just flat-out silliness of the world that we live in, and, and blatant opposition to Jesus. And we think, oh my goodness, this world is headed in a terrible direction. It's getting worse and worse and worse. People are perverting and distorting God's design and his word and his world. What are we going to do? Look at the cross. God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. And so we take heart. We take heart even if we're burned at the stake. Because we can know in the cross that God will win the victory. God's wisdom will prevail. 
right? The world cannot keep up their foolishness forever. The gospel will be known and the folly of this world will be exposed. This is Paul saying, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? And we say, well, they're everywhere. And they seem to be gaining traction in followers. Oh, don't be so deceived. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Or we hold fast to the cross knowing that God will triumph through the gospel. No foolishness of this world will overcome the wisdom of God. Now that's maybe thinking of it in a broad, philosophical, cultural scope. But you have to remember, Paul's writing to Christians. He's correcting Christians. He's confronting their temptation to embrace the foolishness. He's confronting us that, that, that though we would hold to the cross, we want to mix in the wisdom of the world. So we have to take this personally. We can't just think of this in broad strokes. If Paul's drawing a hard line between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, then we ought to examine ourselves and say, where am I trying to mix the two? Where, where am I flirting with the wisdom of the world? Where am I tempted to compromise? So just, just look at your own heart and say, are there areas of my life, are there areas of my life where I'm driven by the wisdom of the world instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We could start with your Christianity. I know most of us claim to be Christians. <laughs> the wisdom of the world says, hey, religion is good for a little something, but it's not essential. It certainly can't control all of your life. You should stop brainwashing your children, right? It certainly isn't worth losing your money over. It certainly isn't worth losing your comfort over. It certainly isn't worth losing your life over. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, if anyone would come after me, this is Mark chapter 8, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Okay, what about family? The wisdom of the world says it's most important to raise our children to understand the world, to have a diverse perspective on lifestyle and culture and philosophy, to be smart. The Lord Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So Christians, are, are we teaching our children that the most important thing for them is that they know Christ? The gospel needs to shape our decisions about parenting, about education, about friends, about what happens 24-7 in our homes. Like Jesus has let the children come to me. Why would we send them out into the world? What about money? The wisdom of the world says, work to gain, gain to spend, spend to be happy. And if you're going to give it away, do it so that you feel good about yourself. Or they say, like, work towards retirement. Take it easy. Enjoy your luxury. Play around. What does Jesus say? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, take care 
and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We could just go on and on, right? The wisdom of the world is just bearing down on us and trying to control us. And my goal here is not to make you feel guilty, although if you're feeling guilty, that's probably not a bad thing. my, My goal really is to help you see how easy it is for us to mix the wisdom of the world into our lives. How easy it is to fog up the lenses of the Christian worldview. Instead, I invite you just to treasure the Lord Jesus Christ. Be done with the wisdom of the world and live for Christ instead. Embrace the foolishness of the cross. Live by the gospel and you will lose a taste for the wisdom of this world because you'll see the foolishness of it. But it's a dangerous path. I, I, I mean, I, again, I don't, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to show you that there's something so much better in Jesus, but I'll just warn you on the front of it. If you are really going to abandon the wisdom of this world and follow Christ, you're in for suffering. We sing a a little song here uh, called, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. It's hymn number 63. Maybe you've read this psalm. It's a beautiful, beautiful song that we sing. It's, I think it's Isaac Watts. Not Isaac Watts, John Newton, right? The the Amazing Grace guy that wrote this. Um, and, And if you've never read it, it's seven verses long. Let me just tell you what the progression is. He first asks God for faith and love and every grace. That's what he wants from the Lord. Like, oh, that's what I want from the Lord. I want faith and love and every grace. God brings suffering. God brings suffering. And he exposes, he says, the hidden evils of my heart. And then in verse 5, he says that the Lord is crossing all the fair designs I've schemed. So this is what God does. God shows foolish all the worldly wisdom that's in us. So then in our suffering, and we, we cry out to the Lord, why are you doing this to us? And listen to God's response. This is God rooting the wisdom of the world out of our hearts and teaching us the wisdom of the cross. Here's how the hymn writer says it. He says, these inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find your all in me. The wisdom of God is found when we stop living according to the wisdom of this world, when we stop pursuing our joy in the things of this world, and we find our greatest joy and our purpose and our life in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's more than just a worldview. It's an eternal view. We need to find our all in Christ. We need to find our joy in Christ. And so often the biggest barrier to that is that we just love the world too much. Of course, these are hard things to learn. God will use suffering, but God will also use the people of God. There's no better place to learn the wisdom of the gospel. There's no better place to develop a Christian worldview than in the church, than among the people of God. Now, when we gather each Sunday, I I cannot anticipate the plethora of worldview issues that all of you deal with on a day-to-day basis. Right? So I, I'm going to touch on some of those littler questions, but I'm mostly going to focus on the big questions of who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? All those little smaller questions, though, are really important, aren't they, on how you live your life? Where do you find those answers? Amongst other Christians, as you pray through issues, as you search the scriptures together, as you confront each other and correct each other and comfort each other and celebrate the goodness of God together. I mean, belonging to a church is not merely about where you are on Sunday. I'm really happy you're here on Sunday. It's a great day. 
but rather belonging to a church is about who you see the world with. It's about, it's about who you're learning from. It's about who you're helping and who's helping you. It's about who you love and who loves you. Right? Because embracing the foolishness of the cross is difficult. It comes with lots of questions and lots of difficulties, and we need to help each other embrace this foolishness. Now, I love Paul, he, and I'm trying to use this in sort of a sanctified sarcasm. Right? Why would you be a fool? Why would you embrace the foolishness of the cross? Well, it's because the cross may look foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we, we can almost sort of wear it as a badge. It pleased God through the foolishness of the cross to save us. So we gladly embrace the foolishness. It's not really foolishness, though. It's the wisdom of God. Let's pray. God, may we not be naive as to think that the Christian worldview will be easy. Maybe it's been way too easy to be a Christian in our, in our world for too long, for too many of us. God, would you help us to see the folly of the wisdom of this world? I pray for my brothers and sisters. I know that we're all hearing things and seeing things and consuming things all day, every day that is, is preaching to us a false and damning gospel that we can gain a little and be happy, that we can achieve progress, that we can make the world a better place by our own strength. God, would you, like Babel, crush that idol, break us, humble us, even if through suffering, that we might find our all in you. Break the schemes of earthly joy. God, we don't want a Christian worldview just because it's a good way to think. We want a Christian worldview because it's your wisdom. Pray that we would teach it to one another and teach it to our children. The foolishness of the cross is the wisdom of God. May we never lose sight of that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.